Are you a fan of camping? Is your spouse, are your parents? People go one of two ways on this. Uh, There are some people who love the idea of a night under canvas without heating. Uh, 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 No, sorry, I've got that wrong. Haha, let's rewind that. There are people who hate the idea of camping. That's it. The thought of a night under canvas, away from heating, without creature comforts, is deeply off-putting. They're too close to the creatures, too far away from the comforts. Uh, Give them a night in a hotel, uh, just don't ask them to go camping. Others of us maybe love the idea of camping. We go all in for it. Oh, we've got the tent, we've got the electrical hookup, we've got the cool stove with all the gas. We like nothing better than a night outside in the great uh, great outdoors, curled up in our sleeping bags. You can keep your all-inclusive holiday to Mallorca, give me a field in Wales, and I'm as happy as can be. Camping is one of those things that some people are into and some people aren't. No big deal. Uh, No one gets hurt either way, unless you get frostbite if it's too cold outside. But getting more serious, do you think of holiness a bit like camping? Something that some Christians are into, uh, but other Christians can ignore without too much damage. It's just one of those things. Uh, Oh, you're into holiness. Well, I'm into spiritual gifts. Oh, you're into holiness. Well, I'm into evangelism. You're into holiness. Well, I'm into social justice. Is that how we think about holiness? Well, we're going to see today that God is concerned that all of us as Christians are holy. That being holy is God's agenda for us. That holiness isn't something that we can take or leave, like camping, It's way too serious for that. So how are you doing with holiness at the moment? How are you doing putting sin to death in your life? How are you doing following Jesus and being shaped into his likeness? My hunch is that question can make us feel uncomfortable. But let's be honest, we all struggle here. We've all failed to one degree or another in ways that we'd be horrified if the person next to us in church knew. We all know that we're not what we should be. Whether that's a struggle with our speech, seen in gossip or harsh words, or a struggle with our emotions, seen in anger and bitterness, or struggles in our relationships, seen in investing all our hopes for our children in the things here and now, or some inappropriate sexual behaviour. So if, like me, you need encouragement, you need power, oh, there you go, that makes you awake, to do better with holiness, then what Paul says here in Colossians 3 is great news. Great news because in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says we are God's holy people. We are holy. We're set apart as God's special possession. And we are to be holy, growing in who and what we are. And so here in chapter 3, we find help. We find fresh strength. We find new inspiration to take holiness seriously. But before we get there, we need to remind ourselves what Colossians 2 told us 
about how not to be holy. You may remember in chapter 2 last week, we saw three ways that these new voices in Colossae were promoting as the way to grow spiritually. Number one, following religious rules. Number two, uh, physical self-denial. Number three, spiritual but false experiences. What's Paul's verdict? Chapter 2.23. Such regulations, he says, have an appearance of wisdom, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't work. So in contrast to those false moves, Paul shows us a better way today for us to be holy. A way that involves us looking to King Jesus. A way that involves two big things. Firstly, Paul's way for holiness is a way that involves grasping our new identity. Grasping our new identity. See, taking holiness seriously begins with grasping our new identity as followers of Jesus. And the headline of that is in verse 4. Look down, please, with me. Christ is our life. Verse 4. See, that is the banner over our lives. That is our spiritual bio, our spiritual Twitter profile. Christ is our life. In other words, everything we have, everything we enjoy, everything that is ultimately true and real and determinative about us is bound up with Christ. Our identity is connected to Christ. It flows from Christ and it leads us back to Christ in worship. Christ is our life. He is the source of our physical life. He's the Father's agent in creation. Remember chapter 1. In him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. But he's also the source of our spiritual life. Let me try and illustrate. Imagine you're sticking something together with glue at home. Uh, Maybe a cake stand. Uh, Maybe a shelf if you're into DIY. Uh, Maybe a school project. Well, imagine you're not being very careful with the glue, and before too long, it's all over your fingers. That is a nightmare, right? You end up with your fingers stuck together, and you can't unstick them. You can't turn the tap on to wash your hands. No matter what you do, that glue is going nowhere and is never coming unstuck. Well, spiritually speaking, friends... It's like we're stuck to Christ with the stickiest glue in the world. We're bound to him, joined to him by faith through the Spirit in an unbreakable bond. So much so that what has happened to him in his death, in his resurrection, in his exaltation, has also happened to us. Because we're bound to him. Look at verse 1. We have been raised with Christ. See, since Christ is physically alive again, breaking the confines of death, he's able to raise his people too. 
physically one day at the end of all things, but spiritually now through our connection with him who is life and gives life. We are new spiritual creatures. We've been raised with Christ. His resurrection life flows through our veins. We are not what we once were. We've been deeply, beautifully, profoundly transformed. Verse 3, we've died to our old God-defying life and those false ideas about holiness we thought about. Again, verse 3, our lives are hidden with Christ in God now. And Christ will complete this work of giving life when he returns. Verse 4, when he appears, we too will appear with him in glory. We will join him in a glorious state for all eternity. Our identity, Paul says, is connected to Christ. Remember, we're stuck to him like glue. We're no longer now linked with Adam, which was true for all of us by birth naturally. Becoming a Christian, it means it's like we've changed families. All of us were born into Adam's family. No, not the one from the TV and film, a different Adam's family. But once Adam was our spiritual ancestor, and we were connected to him, inheriting death and judgment and condemnation as a pretty toxic family heirloom. But we've changed families. Now we're in Christ's family and we inherit life from him. As Paul says in verses 9 and 10, we've taken off the old man, that is Adam, and and all that we were in him. And we've put on the new man, that is Christ, We're now part of a new humanity of people tied to Jesus who lives because he lives. Christ is our life. This is our new identity. Friends, we're Christians here today. Christ is our life. We've died to all we once were in Adam. We've been raised to new spiritual life with Christ. And we know there is glory with Christ yet to come. Whatever else might be true about us, whatever else others might say about us, whatever we might think about ourselves, we are connected to Christ with an unbreakable bond. He is our life. He is your life. This is our new identity. It's an identity given to us by Jesus. It's not one we have to create for ourselves or keep up with our own hard work or efforts. Thank goodness. All around us, people are trying to find their identity. And it is a mess. People work so hard to keep up their appearances, to pretend they're perfect, to airbrush out any brokenness. And that is exhausting. Look at the lengths we go to to present ourselves in the best possible light on social media. The band uh, Ward Thomas, in one of their songs, Lie to Me, put it like this. 
It looks like heaven. It feels like hell. It's picture-perfect paradise, this pretty lie I show and tell. And if I'm honest, I'm someone else. And every story testifies I'm terrified to be myself. Later they sing about fearing you might see the the things I don't want you to see. If we have to create our own identity, we'll always be fearful of people rejecting us in case they see the real us. We'll always be fighting to keep our place in the pecking order so that others don't get ahead of us. And that will kill our holiness. We'll never be open about our struggles with sin. We'll miss out on the encouragement and challenge that other Christians can give. We'll start defining ourselves as better than some people in the church, which will fuel our pride, or worse than other people in the church, which will crush us to the ground. That is no way to live. There is a better way. To grasp our new identity in Christ who is our life. See, as we look to Christ, we're on the right footing to seek holiness. So don't look to other things to give life. Only Christ can do that. Don't trust your own efforts. Rest in the fact that you've been raised with him. Don't fear to be honest with your struggles. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the first step. If we want to take holiness seriously today, we need to grasp our new identity grasp our new identity in Christ. That's the first thing for us. That's the crucial first step, but it's not the only step. There's a second step Paul has for us today, and that is grasp our new responsibilities. So grasp our new identity. Secondly, grasp our new responsibilities, our new responsibilities. Paul says there are three in particular here, three commands he gives in these verses that express our responsibilities. Number one, verse one, set your hearts on things above. Or it's paralleled in verse two, set your minds on things above. It's the same kind of idea. I think they largely overlap. What does that mean? Paul is telling us to set our focus our attention, our concentration on Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. See, that's where Jesus is. That's his location, his postcode, his GPS position. And we are to focus on King Jesus and orientate our lives around the fact that he is exalted, glorified in heaven. And since we're stuck to him like glue, we are to remember him and where he is, because in a profound sense, we are there too. Our lives, verse 3, are hidden with Christ in God. And we're called to be true to this reality. We're to focus on heavenly realities, because that's where Christ, our life, is. Notice contrasted verse 2 with focusing on earthly things. Do you you see the contrast? Seek heavenly things, don't focus on earthly things. Verse 2. What does that mean? Well, Paul isn't saying, isn't saying, 
we're to be unconcerned for life here and now. Far from it. In a few verses, Paul will go on to tell us to seek Christ-centred marriages and families and and workplaces. He's told us in chapter 2 that Jesus made everything, the, the, the stuff of the physical universe. It matters to Jesus. It should matter to us. In fact, everything has been made for Jesus. It's ultimately his possession. So Paul isn't diminishing the goodness or the spirituality of life in this world. No, no. But focusing on earthly things means not focusing very specifically on the sinful, wicked behaviours that are often found in this world. That's what we're not to give any brain space to. How are we doing with this? It is easy to live functionally forgetting about Jesus. We are called to focus on him, where he is, how we're connected to him now and forever. So why not start every day this week reminding yourself, Christ is at the right hand of God. My life is hidden with him, so I'm going to seek the things above while I live fully in this world. Let's focus on Christ, who is exalted, not on our sin. Let's consider where Christ is now, seated at the Father's side, so that we don't indulge our sinful desires. Let's set our hearts and minds on things above. Not thinking life can be experienced fully here and now. It's our first responsibility. Seek the things above. Secondly, Paul says, verse 5, put to death, second command, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here's a list of those things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You see, these are the earthly things Paul doesn't want us to focus on. With good reason. Look at verse 6. Because of these, The wrath of God is coming. See, these practices provoke God's holy hatred of sin. His right moral response to evil and wickedness, which assures us God will see justice done in his world one day. Paul says, verse 7, we used to walk in these ways. But that they are now inappropriate inconsistent for someone whose identity has changed in the ways that ours has. A few uh, weeks ago now, Gareth Bale uh, re-signed from Tottenham Hotspur from Real Madrid. Now, imagine Real and Spurs play each other this season. Now, you're going to have to imagine hard because Spurs are pretty rubbish. But it's going to be inconsistent, inappropriate for Gareth in the midst of that match, to kind of go back and play for Real, isn't it? It'd be really odd if during the game he ripped off his Spurs kit and he had a Real shirt underneath. He started trying to score goals past his new teammates. That would be a denial of his identity in some way, wouldn't it? It it would be weird, puzzling, and, and actually a bit wrong if that happened. Well, it's like that here. We used to walk in these ways, but... We have a new identity. So, verse 5, put to death those things. And 
That is a really powerful, strong image, isn't it? We are to kill these things off. Exterminate them. Radically root them out from our lives. We are not to show these things any mercy or give them any space to grow in our lives. We are to be ruthless in killing off these behaviours. So how are you doing with this? Personally, I'm often tempted to make peace with my sin rather than kill it off. How about you? Paul unashamedly here highlights sexual sins. And he warns here against any sexual sin, any sexual expression that takes place outside of lifelong committed heterosexual marriage. And he warns that going down that path in our lives shows that we're being driven, verse 5, by greed. We're seeking pleasure and satisfaction in the wrong place, in a way that displaces God from our lives and means we've embraced idolatry. We're worshipping someone, something else, more than the true God. Friends, if these behaviours characterise you today... Let me gently but but firmly warn you to take that seriously. God is wrathful against such things. And a life given over to these things will merit, rightly, God's just condemnation at the end. These things are inconsistent now. You are in Christ. They need to be killed off. Christ is your life. Not these things. Do what needs to be done. Repent. Put God back on the throne of your life. Seek help. Get busy killing sin before sin is busy killing you. That's the second responsibility. The third and final responsibility Paul wants us to embrace is there in verse 8 and 9. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, Malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. This list covers sins of speech. Slander, speech that ruins someone else. Filthy language, inappropriate words and cruel jokes at the expense of another. We are to rid ourselves of these things. Just like you might throw rubbish away in the bin because you don't take trash home and cherish it. And Paul also refers to the attitudes in our hearts that often lie behind those cruel words. Anger, rage, malice. You see, Paul wants us to get rid of these things because they will destroy our community. If they not got rid of, they will erode our unity and our relationships as the church. These are all anti-social sins that will rip a church apart if left unchecked. I wonder if we really believe that last sentence. You see, we, we can think of our words as quite a small thing, maybe compared to the sexual sins of verse 5, or the big sins like murder, or abuse, or, or exploitation. 
But our words matter. It is crucial that we do not lie to one another. That we speak truthfully with with kindness and honesty and integrity. Otherwise, to quote Taylor Swift, we end up in a situation where I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. If you have a dripping tap at home, you need to fix it. Because otherwise it will drip, 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 and eventually rust or rot whatever it's dripping onto. Those little drips don't seem a big deal, but you put them all together, they add up and they ruin things. So it is with our words. Words that express anger, rage or malice. So it is with lies, untruths. They will corrode our unity. And our unity matters because God's intention in uniting us to Christ and to one another is that in his church, in his new humanity, there is no division. In the church, verse 11, there is no Gentile or Jew. No circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Rather, Christ is all and is in all. So get rid of sins that would undermine this Christ-given unity. So how are you doing with this? Are you someone marked by anger? A short temper? Malicious thoughts about others in your heart? Do you find those attitudes bubbling up and spilling over in cruel, critical, judgmental words? Is your speech toxic or truthful? We are to rid ourselves of all such behaviours for the good of the church. Let us look to King Jesus. Let us seek his transforming power to be who we really are. Let us use our words to deepen our unity rather than threaten our unity. Let's take holiness seriously. And having grasped our new identity, let's grasp our new responsibilities. Let us grasp then our new responsibilities. So is holiness like camping? No. It doesn't matter if you like camping or not. But it matters if you care about holiness or not. And as Christians, God has graciously given us a new identity in Christ. And now he summons us, be who you are. We are new creatures in Christ. Live out that new life. We are raised with Christ. Live in that reality. And so in response to that grace, we are called to new responsibilities. Playing our part in becoming what God would have us be. Responsibilities where we set our minds on things above. Where we put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And we rid ourselves of every antisocial sin that would tear this church apart if left unaddressed. Holiness matters to God. We are God's holy people after all. Holiness should matter to us. So friends, let's grasp our new identity. Let's grasp our new responsibilities. 
But let's remember that holiness is nothing like camping. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for your word. Thank you that you're a speaking God and we believe when your word is opened, your spirit moves and you speak today. Would that have been true for these moments together, we pray. Father, wherever your word has pressed into our hearts, wherever your spirit has just kind of nudged us and brought that word home, Father, please, would it find a good soil? And would it yield an abundant harvest of repentance, of joy, of faith in Christ? Father, help us, please, each and every one to grasp our new identity. Help us to rejoice and rest and treasure the truth that Christ is our life. To see ourselves ultimately in light of who Christ is and how we are joined to him now by faith in that unbreakable bond, stickier than the stickiest glue that you could ever find. And in light of that new identity, in joyful, glad response to all you have done for us, may we grasp deliberately and intentionally those new responsibilities that you give us. Help us to seek the things above where Christ is. Help us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly natures, however struggle, however hard that might be, however humbling that might prove for us. And help us to rid ourselves of all such things that would rip our church apart, that would throw the hard-fought, Christ-achieved unity away. May it be true that in this church, this expression of your new humanity There is no division, but Christ is all and is in all, because we pray it for his glory. Amen.